Hello everyone, I'm Daniel Brickhouse and welcome to my podcast. Now, this podcast is called Reimagining the System. Through this podcast, I will be discussing the criminal justice system and its flaws and how we can start to reimagine what abolition of the system could potentially look like. Now, for those wondering, abolition is the doing away or completely getting rid of a system. Though, small disclaimer, I'm not claiming that I know everything about the abolition process or how it would work. I myself am only coming from a background of what I've learned so far from my college courses, through social media discourse, through reading books, and through scholarly articles that I've had to read along the way. Along with listening to more educated people on this topic, aside from myself, and just from overall knowing and being Black in America and what all that entails. Now, I know some people don't like really long podcasts, so... I promise I'm going to keep things short, sweet, and to the point, and I'm going to make sure I follow that through all these episodes. All right, bet. So let's get straight into this. Now, to start this off, I'm going to start from the base of what exactly the criminal justice system is in of itself. By definition, like straight from Google itself, it says that the criminal justice system is a network of government and private agencies intended to manage the accused and convicted criminals. The criminal justice system is compromised of multiple interrelated pillars consisting of academia, law enforcement, forensic services, the judiciary, and corrections. Now listen, definition straight from Google itself. It then goes on to state that this is all in place to support the legal system and everything within the legal system. And after you further dwell into it, it starts to involve ethics and how the professionals within the system make decisions based on the things they believe in and what they think is right and wrong. We come to know this as discretion. Now, per se, for example, when you think of a cop in a certain situation, let's say you get pulled over for speeding, it's to the cop's discretion if he wants to give you a ticket or not. Now, when we look further into this, the problem with this is oftentimes when we actually leave things up to people's discretion, we face what can be called bias or discrimination. Now, most times we often only see the discretion of the cops talked about. That's because in terms of who you will likely encounter first within this criminal justice system are cops. When you think of who to call in any type of emergency or problem when it comes to something serious, the first thing you will think of, of course, besides like family and things of that nature, is 911 or the cops. It's what we've been conditioned to do. In a sense, the criminal criminal justice system has made it our only option. Yet countless times over and over, we see discretion being wrongly used by just about Everyone in this instance, or everyone in the system, sorry. For instance, after you're in the system with your initial interaction with a cop, you then must start to interact with the court system. In the court system, you're dealing with people higher up in the system. For example, your judges, your magistrates, like everybody in the court system, like the people of that kind of power. And many times, this is where you'll also start to see major discrepancies. For instance, when you hear about black and non-black people of color getting longer sentences than their white counterparts for the same or even lesser offenses, this is basically the criminal justice system in a nutshell. A system that affects citizens on a legal level and is allowed to use their own discretion in certain cases, yet because everybody's still human, It is made up of individuals with many biases and discriminatory behaviors making these decisions. So we often see those without power, once again, black people, not black people of color, affected the most. And that's something we've seen perpetrated throughout, like because of slavery, because of things of that nature, like the system has just always been placed against those without power. That's the way the system works. 
The system is always made for those to be benefited who have the power who are in place to make these decisions. Now, I kept this as short and sweet as possible because this is the very first episode and because this is just running through very, very quickly what the criminal justice system actually is. And if you enjoyed this talk and you want to hear more about what will be discussed, this next episode will dive further into the criminal justice system. How we talked about how cops are the first interaction you get with the system. We'll look at the flip side of if we had an abolition of this criminal justice system, what an abolitionist approach to your first interaction with the system could be. And that's kind of how this will all end up being structured. One week, we'll discuss a part of the criminal justice system, and the following week, we'll discuss how that system will be different when approached from an abolitionist perspective on the examples and things that we discussed in the previous podcast. So I just want to say thank you for your time, and I can't wait to see you on next week's podcast. This was Daniel Brickhouse, and we're reimagining the system, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Hello everyone, I'm Daniel Brickhouse, and welcome back to episode 2 of Reimagining the System. Last week, we discussed the base of the criminal justice system, what your first interaction with it could be, and how discretion is used in the steps of your first interaction with the system. From your first interaction with the cop, to how after that, discretion could be used with the cop, and then also used in the court system with being, like, with involving the judge and people in higher positions of power than the cop that you first interacted with. We discussed how these choices could thus be influenced by racist and discriminatory mindsets within the individuals facing these interactions with the people in power. Now, once again, and this is a disclaimer I will say every single week. I'm not claiming that I know everything about the abolition process or how it could work. I myself am coming from a background of what I've learned from my college courses, social media discourse, reading books and scholarly articles, along with listening to more educated people than myself on topics, including abolition in the criminal justice system. Also, once again, from being black in America and all that that entails. Also, while I'm having these discussions, If you ever want to hop in on a podcast, you're more than welcome. You can agree or disagree with whatever I'm saying, have a strong opinion, or even want to just bring more knowledge to this. I'm all ears and will always be open to it. Anybody's always welcome. Even if you don't think you have much to say, once conversations start, you may end up finding out that you have more and more you want to say. So always hop in if you want to hop in. So moving on. Like last week, we're just going to try to keep this very short, sweet, and to the point. And also, to make things easier, to compare, we're going to use last week's example of your first interaction being with the cops, and that's where we're starting from. Now, let's take an instance, for example, a situation which we've seen many times of, per se, maybe someone having a breakdown of some sort, a couple arguing, and someone calls the cops, and they send out someone to help with the situation, and instead of helping, we see things escalate further. That's a very common occurrence. We also tend to see this sometimes when cops are called on those maybe affected by homelessness and people going through like emotional breakdowns in public and things of that nature. Now, let's think about it. How would we we really rationalize expecting a cop to handle this situation? Usually, people's first instinct is to just suspect the cop to just arrest the person, shuffle them in the back of their car, and now that person is in the system when really they just needed help and they're not getting the help at all. Now, this is a common occurrence that we see over and over again, and like we know this to be the norm. But when abolition takes place, all of the funds in place to support the police get shifted over to, let's say, rehabilitation, 
healthcare professionals, people who are just more equipped to handle these circumstances. And so that's the talking point we're going to go from this time. So let's take that same example of a cop being called on people being affected by homelessness or people having breakdowns in public. Instead of cops being sent out, a medical professional equipped properly to handle these situations would be sent out to maybe talk to this person, help figure out what they would really need for that person in that exact moment to calm down or even just diffuse the situation. You never know what people can be affected by. Maybe they need a facility to be alone and they may not have access to housing. Now, seeing as an abolition of this system of prison system, the jail system, the cops, the criminal justice system, all in and of itself, that means that these resources would be allocated towards facilities such as shelters and like rehabilitation centers in place to make sure that when these instances happen of these people having these kind of breakdowns in public and things of that nature, when they get help sent to them, like these professionals and these people actually equipped to handle the situation, not only do they have somebody who actually knows the situation, they also have a place that they can be taken. So when you're taking the money away from these people and taking away this system, kind of tearing down the system, the money that would be used to be put into that system is used to help the community and help people that actually need the help, not the cops, because they really don't need help because so many times they're called to situations in which they don't know how to properly handle. And so throughout all of these talks and all of these podcasts, we have to use our imagination here and we have to imagine that like this would be a world where the police really do not have the budget that they have and all of this money is actually being used for the people, for the communities, and not to sit here and support these jails and prisons in a system that over and over kind of disenfranchises the people that it's so-called claiming to help or that it's so-called not against when it actually is. Like, let's think of, this is an easy example to use. So many times when we see things in the news or we see like, if you read like a tabloid or you read like a quick headline, when you see a rich person or someone with money needs assistance, they can immediately get themselves put into the greatest rehab facility and usually get their problems taken care of or like just automatically have resources available to get their needs met. And that's the problem is whenever wealthy people need basic necessities and resources met, they can get it done. And so the question is, why can we not have those same facilities and everything available to just everyone? And that's the thing is we can. We have the ability to get free counseling and set it up for everyone. We fund a ridiculous amount of money into the police system. If you caught the report, just in 2020 alone, NYPD's budget was $10.9 billion. It's simple Google search away, $10.9 billion. Now let's just reimagine. Let's imagine that money going towards resources the community could use to help get people free counseling, free re- rehabilitation higher paid um, healthcare professionals so that they can deal with these problems that people may get called for. Free healthcare services. There's so much more we could do with that money and funnel it into a system that doesn't support these racist ideologies. Like, 
this shift involves money being put into better systems than the ones we currently have in place. And the problem is, is we so often get convinced that there's no money that can be put into these things, but we must remember, $10.9 billion was just put into NYPD. So we always know that the government has the money to do it. They just actively choose violence and choose not to do it. Now, sorry, once again, I'm trying to keep this short and sweet. I'm trying to keep very, very concise. I know people don't like listening to people ramble on. So I'm going to say we're out of time today. But on the next episode, because we're discussing abolition many times, people are asked, like I give it, I gave a very, very nonviolent example. So next episode, next week, we'll be discussing how violent acts and violent crimes can be committed by people and how it will be handled when there's no jails in place, when there's no prisons in place, when there's nothing to there to really like punish. Like we're moving away from punishment or we're moving more towards rehabilitation. That's the point of abolition is we need to move away from the current system in which we know because it's proven over and over again that it doesn't work. So next week we'll be discussing because I know that's typically the main kind of pushback against abolition is, okay, well, what if violence occurs? So next week we'll be discussing that. So once again, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much. Hello everyone, I'm Daniel Brickhouse, and welcome back to episode 3 of Reimagining the System. Now, last week, we discussed what abolition would be like for people who are experiencing mental breakdowns, who are experiencing homelessness, or sorry, when people are affected by homelessness and how they may need help. How instead of sending cops, when the system is actually abolished and we get things in place that don't favor cops and don't favor putting money into such a racist and violent system, that would mean that the other services such as counseling and medical professionals would have the means to be called on to be sent out to help these people. We discussed how the money spent towards the police would be allocated towards better facilities for the community, higher paid healthcare professionals, and so that way they can be compensated for the work they're doing. And we can kind of start to look at this as a way of where we no longer need to just lock people up and throw them in the back of a police car for mental health episodes or things that happen in public when really they just need help and not to be locked up, not to be kind of deemed as lesser than in the community. Now, moving forward, this week we'll be discussing what we do when violent crimes are committed and perpetrated. We typically see that being the drawing point and kind of like the pushback of people not favoring the abolition of the prison system because they all, you just, I mean, you have to address violent acts and we'll address many things surrounding this. Now, once again, like I say every week, I'm not claiming that I know everything about the abolition process or how it could work. I myself am coming from a background of what I've learned so far in my college courses, social media discourse, reading books and scholarly articles, along with listening to more educated people than myself on topics involving the criminal justice system, and also, always, from being Black in America and what all that entails. What I'm doing is simply having a discussion. And once again, I invite anybody, if you ever want to hop in on a podcast, you're more than welcome, agree or disagree with anything I'm saying, have a strong opinion, or even want to bring in more knowledge, I'm all ears and always open to being more informed on any topic that's ever discussed. So like last week, we're going to try to keep this very short and sweet and to the point. But please bear with me. This one might be a tad bit longer, so just just stick along with me. So when thinking about an abolition of the system, many times 
that means you've attacked the things causing the system to be in place in the first place. Like, I'm going to go ahead and state, I, for one, believe that prisons and jails are inhumane and they focus more on punishment instead of rehabilitation and actually addressing the problem at hand. Prisons do not ever prevent crime from taking place, or does it really deter people when you consider the number of people either in or on their way to being in prison? Also, the conditions in which these people who actually are inside of prison and jail are inhumane. And so what does that really say about how we feel for people who simply just made a mistake? Would you yourself want to be thrown in awful conditions for making a small mistake? Absolutely not. So that's what I'm saying. Eliminate, And then we must think like you make a small mistake um, or some things that aren't even like let's look back at how nowadays we're seeing we getting decriminalized and all of these things like. People used to get thrown in jail, especially black and people of color, for having very, very small amounts of weed on them. Yet now we're seeing this act get decriminalized and we're no longer seeing these people get sent to jail, but yet they're still keeping some people in jail. Some places, of course, they're like eliminating jail sentences and things of that nature, but it's just like, we're starting to see that the power is there to decriminalize certain things and to just kind of eliminate certain acts that the system has deemed awful. Like, we need to realize that, like, eliminating this system would help decriminalize many acts because if there's no prison to pe- for people to even be thrown into, that means these acts will be viewed differently when being assessed because now your immediate punishment isn't there anymore. Like, your immediate go-to punishment is just throw people in jail, fill up the prison, isn't there anymore so now you must put thought and care into every system in every case and everything that's being happened like now like let's use weed once again for example now that it's decriminalized yes you may have a big amount but it's no longer like you go to jail for it. like you'll be fined and maybe things of that but you're not going to just instantly being thrown in jail anymore like it just takes that stress off of even having it in the first place now, once again, I know I haven't addressed violence yet, which is the main talking point for this. So let's go there right now. As quoted in transferharm.org, I will put the link in the comment. I will put the link to this article in the description below. The elimination of violent crime is inextricably tied in with the entire point of socialism, which is to create a society in which people are prosperous and happy and don't hurt each other. And abolition is a useful way of thinking of these things because it says... The task is to make a world in which prisons are unnecessary rather than the task is to make a world in which prisons are comfortable. Like, contrary to popular belief, and that belief being, I'm sorry, people, you know, who support capitalism, according to SafeWise, in those most safe cities, and they took 100 of them, the median income throughout all of these cities was $102,000. So like in the previous podcast, when I was saying money plays a factor in determining crime, when people have money to have their most basic, basic necessities and needs met, much crime will be cut out. Most crime is usually done out of straight necessity and socioeconomic status. In these cities as well, the safest crime, violent crime was 0.3% out of 1,000 people. Taking into account that the median income throughout all of these safe cities, which are like combined all safe cities was $102,000, it just lets you know that economics will always play a factor. And letting people have basic things need they need and the money they need to actually access what they need met, you can cut almost all crime altogether. 
now I know people like examples and, you know, it's maybe like, well, that's not possible. And like, you've never seen this work in a different country. Let's take Norway, for example. Norway is a socialist country who makes sure the needs of all of its citizens are met. And out of per 100,000 people had a murder rate of 0.53. That literally totaled out to 25 murders in all of 2018. The U.S. could literally only dream of those numbers. But let's say the violent crime is committed. What would we do with them? What would we do with this person who committed this crime? In some places, kind of how I mentioned above, like Norway, sadly, yes, they do still imprison people. Now, I, for one, after hours of scoundering through texts and such, didn't really find kind of like a viable solution to violent crime punishment. I personally believe in rehabilitation. I think if you cure the basis of the problem, you can prevent future problems. So even for violent crimes, even if it's a longer rehab process, we still can't default to just throwing people in prison. But we can still kind of incorporate like a long-term type of rehab because with proper therapy and everything included, you can always get to the root of the problem. Always. And many times the root of the problem is honestly capitalism. Like with the work of abolition, we are going to see capitalism in and of itself be thrown down. Like we're going to see capitalism torn down because capitalism is the main root kind of of all problems because these jails exist because people are basically going against the system. Their basic needs aren't met. The things they need aren't met because of capitalism, right? In a socialist country, when basic needs and necessities and things of that nature, things that people need are met, we don't see these same crimes occur because crimes, like I stated before, are all committed out of necessity. Not always, but usually we see it committed out of necessity. And the reason we see these numbers down in different countries of countries that don't have capitalism is because you need to actually care about the people like that is this that's just the only way to really go about things you need to care about your people and i think that through kind of like reimagining the system kind of abolishing prisons jails the whole kind of criminal justice system and just looking at a different kind of way we could reform it and things of that nature we can really start to kind of like okay they may just need our help or what okay this person maybe committed this crime but why did they commit this crime why did they do this was it really because of that like was it really because they like did they just have to steal no they didn't why did they steal maybe because they, they stole maybe because they don't have the funds to get what they actually needed why don't they have the funds for it because the job doesn't pay a livable wage or where they're at just doesn't give them many hours like we need to start looking at the reason why people do things instead of just always looking for punishment that's the problem with the u.s system is it often seeks punishment over rehabilitation and so that's why i'm leaning more towards kind of like we have to really reimagine the way we're doing things here no, sorry, it seems like once again we're all out of time today. Next week, though, I would much like to invite someone to discuss kind of like 
how we're reimagining the system of no jail, no prisons, things of that nature, why some people may agree, why some people may not agree. Maybe even with, even with my approach on violent crime, of I still, even though Norway is a kind of a country people go to to kind of model how socialism works and how you know they have they don't have much crime and things of that nature even though they still imprison people i personally still think we can incorporate a long-term rehabilitation instead of imprisoning people because i still will never believe in prisons and jails and still will never believe that that ever fixes anything so i definitely want to invite someone on to kind of bring more to the discussion so once again i just want to say thank you everybody for tuning in and i hope you have a great rest of your day